guys, it's Kimberly and Megan, and you've entered room 237, the bonus. The bonus. <laughs> You're very happy about the bonus I, today. Apparently I am. <laughs> I'm here for it. So I guess today we're going to talk about experiments gone wrong. Ooh. So last week we did the fly, which is about a man who does an experiment that goes horribly wrong. So we thought we'd talk about some experiments that went horribly wrong. Okay. You know, as it goes. As it does. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the first one we're going to talk about is the ape and the child. Right, so we're going to talk about in detail just a few of them, and then we'll also name a few more at the, at end. the end. There's so many. I didn't realize there were so many. You, just, you can't go through all of them. So we'll go through a few, and then we'll talk about a few more at the end in less detail. Winthrop Kellogg was an American psychologist who studied the behavior of a number of intelligent animal species, including, and most infamously, chimps. Infamously being the key word here. Yeah, right, right. Kellogg was interested in determining the relative influence of nature and nurture on behavior okay so when his wife got pregnant he was like this is the perfect opportunity for me to study this shit (laughs) and i can raise a baby chimp along with my own infant son his son's name was donald and i think we can all kind of see where this Mm -hmm. is going but let's see kellogg initially conceived this idea during his graduate time at columbia it was sparked by an article on the wolf children of india he argued that these children Feral, another word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wolf children, but yeah, feral kids. They're feral kids. They were born with normal intelligence, but learned to live like wolves because that was their environment. That's what their de- that's what their environment demanded. Right. I think that feral kids are such an interesting Me concept too. and so weird and like creepy almost. And fascinating. Right. Anyway, Kellogg believed in the strong impact of early experience and the existence of critical periods in development. And he maintained that the problem with civilizing feral children was the difficulty of overturning the habits learned early in life. Mm -hmm. So placing a human infant of normal intelligence in an uncivilized environment and observing its development in that environment would be both ethical and not legal. Mm, a little, yeah, a little, bit, a little bit, a little bit. So the only other way to test the question of environment versus heredity, you know, heredity would be to take a wild animal and place it in the civilized environment of a human home. Mm. Basically to tape, take a chimp and raise it with a with person. An <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah. What could go wrong? Exactly. <laughs> It's like people back in the day had no idea how animals worked. Right. I get that we're very closely genetically to a chimp, but come on now. And we're not the same. Your infant son? Yeah, that just seems like a bad idea all around. In 1931, Kellogg moved his family to Florida after he received the Social Science Research Council Fellowship to work at the Yale Anthropod Station. Uh, Soon after, a 7.5 month female chimp named Gua joined the Kellogg family. Oh, little baby. Little baby Gua. The Kellogg's son Donald, who was 10 months old at the time, and Gua were raised together and as much as possible treated the same. They were both dressed in human clothes, they were bathed, fed, they were taught in a similar manner. Kellogg also conducted a number of tests to measure their development in this time. Okay. Gua developed faster than Donald, as chimps normally do. Right. 
because they're in in the wild. Right. (laughs) She was able to learn some behaviors quicker and even seem more dependent on human interaction and support than Donald. So right now you're thinking, oh, okay, okay, cool. She did better than Donald on tasks like um, memory, strength, dexterity, climbing, obviously. Right. (laughs) Problem solving and language comprehension. I'm not shocked by any of that information. She eventually plateaued in her development and it was clear she would not become, quote unquote, more human. She did not meet Kellogg's expectations and his reasoning was that she made no effort to communicate via human language. She wouldn't speak English. Yes, pretty <laughs> Poor Gua. Am I right? Gua did not develop as Kellogg had hoped. Womp womp. I know. But Donald also was developing not as expected. Yikes. He had imitated a few of Gua's vocalizations, <laughs> including the food bark when food was nearby. So, you know, when, when chimps are excited or they, woo, 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 that kind of loud, yeah. you know? Donald was like, mm-hmm. woo, woo, woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After nine months, the study ended, which was four years and three months short of his initial five-year wow. plan. A book was written and articles were published, and then criticisms came from all over, from colleagues, from the public, even from his wife. Some critics stated the project was inhumane, while others pointed out the undesirability of using an infant as an experimental subject for an extended period of time, which they're not wrong. Yeah. Others disapproved of the separation of Gua from her mother and other chimpanzees. Also not wrong. Right. Additionally, since the study had been written in in a public-friendly way and picked up by the media, some critics characterized the study as one seeking publicity and excitement. Hmm. What do you think of Gua? Oh, Gua. I feel sad for Gua. Yeah. I do. Um, I feel sad for any chimp who is raised with people. Even today, they have those poor little chimps who dress up in human clothes. That, to me, is not cute. It's just sad. It is. You know? Next up is one of my faves. This is a very famous one. Yeah, right. It's the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yes. I learned about this when I was in college. I'm sure you did too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> in 1971, a social psychology experiment to investigate the psychological effects of perceived power, focusing on the struggle between prisoners and prison officers, was conducted by Philip Zimbardo using college students and it went off the damn rails. It sure did. It took place on the campus of Stanford University on August 15th through the 21st in 1971. All participants were male, and they were told that they would partake in a two-week study. There were 20, there were, I think, maybe 75 to 100 applicants, but 24 applicants were selected whose test results predicted that they would be the most psychologically stable and healthy the most mature and the least likely to be involved in antisocial behavior. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it should be pointed out here that the experiment is already off to a bad state um, or is off to a bad start as people in prison are not always the most uh, yeah. psychologically stable. Right. not saying that they couldn't be. It's just that the results uh, would be skewed if you only included the stable people. Participants also received Fifteen dollars a day. Big money. Mm, it's about a hundred dollars now a day. So not bad. That's not. But yes, I mean, you can't. This is, this is not how you do an experiment, honestly. No. But you can't. I can't think of the word. You can't shape your pool of right. of people. You can't say I'm only going to pick from these desirable Stable, people. Yeah. You know, that's not how prison works. No, that's not how society diverse, works. Yes. You know, you have to pick just randomly. But anyway. The experiment was conducted in a 35-foot section of the basement of Jordan Hall, which was Stanford's psychology building. 
They created a prison. It had two fabricated walls, one at the entrance and one at the cell, kind of a, a wall to divide from where they were observing. And each cell within the, the cell block was six by nine, and it contained a cot for the prisoner. Just a little cot. Just a little cot. The participants were randomly assigned to the role of either a prisoner or a guard. There were two reserves and one person dropped out. So in the end, there were 10 prisoners and 11 guards. Prisoners were, it, it starts fucked Oh up. my God. It's so fucked. Like, how could anyone think that this was ethical? You could never get away with this nowadays. No. The 70s were a fucking wild time. <laughs> they were a wild time. So prisoners were arrested at their home without warning. They were taken to the local police station with the consent of the police mm-hmm. who helped with this experiment. They were fingerprinted, mugshotted, or photographed, and booked. <laughs> they were then blindfolded and driven to the created prison on campus. Right. When they arrived, they were stripped naked, mm. deloused, mm. and had their personal possessions removed, given only prison clothing, bedding, and they were locked in their cells. They would be referred to only by their prison number from this time on. Right. So the clothes they were given were a smock. It's honestly like a, a big t-shirt dress, you know, that kind of came down to their knees. And no underclothes. They were given a tight nylon cap to wear over their hair. I would appreciate that. You would. Give me my bonnet. <laughs> it, would, it was tight, though, so it wasn't comfortable. <laughs> and they had a chain locked around one ankle, I guess, to simulate being locked up of some... And I don't know what the point of that, but they did. All the guards were dressed in identical khaki... Uh, and they had a whistle and a billy club. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. They were real billy clubs, yeah, too. Yeah, they were. Not, like, pretend. They also wore sunglasses to make eye contact impossible. The guards went through an orientation session the day before the experiment started where they were instructed not to harm the prisoners physically or to withhold food or drink and to treat them respectfully. With respect. Yeah, yeah. Or as a human being, which they quickly stopped doing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the first day, it was relatively uneventful. But on the second day, <laughs> starts to get cray. The prisoners in cell block one blockaded their cell door with their beds, took off their caps, and refused to come out or follow any of the guards' instructions. It's our, like only been day a day. Two. <laughs> the shit's right? going off the rails. In order to subdue the revolt, guards from other shifts, because the guards were separated into the shifts of three guards per shift. Okay. So it, they brought in guards from other shifts. They, they volunteered to work these extra hours to help subdue this revolt. And they subsequently attacked the prisoners with fire extinguishers. Yikes. So they broke into the cells. They stripped the prisoners naked. They shot them with these fire extinguishers, which <laughs> keep in mind is like cold. Yeah. You know, real fire extinguishers. Yeah. And then they took out their beds. So they're just there, like, sleeping on the concrete, naked, freezing. Naked, naked, naked. They set up a privileged cell where prisoners not involved in the riot were treated with special rewards, mm-hmm. such as, like, higher quality meals, probably some extra blankets or something. Something, yeah. These prisoners chose not to eat the meals in commiseration with their fellow inmates. They're Solidarity. Like, stitches get snitches. <laughs> snitches get stitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sanitary conditions rapidly declined. Mm. It was exacerbated by the guards' refusal to allow some prisoners to urinate or defecate anywhere but in these buckets that were in their cells, which is disgusting. Pretty much. Push-ups were a common form of physical punishment imposed by the guards, even going as far as like stepping on the prisoners' backs or having another prisoner sit on their backs while the other one did (laughs) push-ups. It's a lot. It's a lot. Over the next few days, the relationship between the guards and the prisoners changed. 
the prisoners became more dependent and the guards more derisive towards them. As the guards' contempt for the prisoners grew, the prisoners became even more submissive, which made the guards in turn more aggressive and assertive and even more contempt, you know, <laughs> contemptful. Like it just a vicious cycle. Yes. After 35 hours, 35, 35 hours, <laughs> not even two days, right? One prisoner began to act crazy, quote unquote crazy, <laughs> per Zimbardo. He described... I'm sorry, real quick. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I forgot to point out that Zimbardo kind of appointed himself as like the prison warden. Yeah. Like the head of the prison. So he's there kind of overseeing the whole thing, you know, being a huge dick about everything. He described this crazy prisoner. Um, He said he began to act crazy, scream, curse, going into a rage, and he seemed kind of out of control. He says it took quite a while before we became convinced that he was really suffering and that we had to release him. Poor 35 pr- hours. Poor prisoner 8612. 24601. That is Jean Valjean, in case you didn't know from my miss. Anyway, on the fourth day, some of the guards stated they heard a rumor that the released prisoner was going to come back with some friends and free the remaining inmates. So Zimbardo and the guards moved the prison to a different floor in the building. Then when the released prisoner didn't show back up, they moved the prison back to the basement. (laughs) What a waste of time and energy. Prisoner number 819 broke down and began to cry while talking with the priest uh, Zimbardo had brought over to conduct the interviews. So, I guess it was kind of like a, it was a like Catholic a, priest. Yeah. They brought him in to just kind of like, how are you feeling? How are you, how doing? Are you doing? Just a little check-in. Yeah. The psychologist removed his chain and told him to go rest in a nearby room, and they would get him some food and take him to see a doctor. Because, I mean, the man was yeah. having the moment. While this was going on, one of the guards had the other prisoners chant, prisoner 819 is a bad prisoner. Because of what prisoner 819 did, my cell is a mess, Mr. Correctional Officer. Doesn't that sound a bit like Little Wayne? <laughs> Wee- Mrs. Wee- <laughs> Mrs. Officer? Anyway. <laughs> prisoner 819 could hear this chanting, and um, he was found by the psychologist to be sobbing uncontrollably. Poor, Poor little baby. They tried to get him to leave the experiment, but he said he couldn't, as he would be labeled as a bad prisoner by Ugh. the others. I mean, he's already, like, their mind is just broken. Zimbardo then stepped in and reminded the man that he was, in fact, in an experiment, and it wasn't real. They were all students, and he was, at this point, he was just kind of like, oh, okay, you're right, and they let him go. I feel like there was no follow-up, no, like, girl, are you all right? Because they just don't seem good. Yeah, they're like, you're fine. Good luck to it. On day six, Christina Mashlaw? Sure. A Stanford PhD was brought in to conduct interviews with the guards and prisoners. She strongly objected to the abuse she saw, and Zimbardo ended the experiment. She ended up being his wife, Zimbardo's wife. Oh, She's yeah. like, what you were doing here was wrong, but also you kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was his girlfriend at the time. Mm. There was a lot of other stuff that went on in this experiment that I just didn't want to get into because it's a very long drawn. We could spend the whole oh, for sure. hour talking about this thing. The guards just treated these prisoners like shit. Like, like they weren't shit. human beings. It was horrific. I, it, it's just, you can read up on it if you want to know more. It's really an interesting... How quickly we can turn against each other. Yeah, not even a full day and everybody was already acting insane. This just, it kind of makes you feel like... What goes on in real prisons must be mm-hmm. truly terrible. All right, so another one is Franz Reichelt. So Franz is an Austrian-born tailor, inventor, and parachuting pioneer. <laughs> Poor Franz. Okay. 
1912, Franz announced to the press that he received permission to conduct an experiment from the Eiffel Tower. I feel like, can you tell where this is going yet? Parachuting pioneer, <laughs> Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. Tower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On February 4th at 7 a.m., he arrived at the tower wearing his parachute suit. The suit was described as only a little more voluminous than ordinary clothing. Yikes. It was like a bunch of cloth that he tailored, you know, because he's a tailor. That oh, he'd yeah, yeah. sewn and to make this big giant parachute. Okay. That came off like of your back, basically. Well, the experiment was supposed to be a dummy dropped wearing the suit. Hmm. But uh O'Franz was like, nah, I'm confident in my design. I'm gonna jump my damn self. I applaud the confidence. I think maybe the first test should have been a dummy. <laughs> Crash test dummy if you Right. Will. At eight mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's a, I love that song. I'm not going to lie. I had the tape. Oh, boy. <laughs> At 8.22, Franz stood on a stool placed on a restaurant table next to the interior guardrail of the tower's first deck, which is a height of about 187 feet above the ground. He then leapt outward. His parachute floated around him almost immediately, oh. and he fell for a few seconds before striking the frozen ground. Le Petit Parisien Very good. reported his right leg and arm were crushed. Mm. His skull and spine were broken, and he was bleeding from his mouth, nose, and ears. He fucked up. He, he died on impact, yeah. luckily. <laughs> I mean... Yes, thank God. Thank God, because it'd be horrible, I feel like, if he was still alive at this point. The next day, many newspapers showed images of the fatal jump, which is in really poor taste, in my opinion. It is. There was also film of the attempt... Um, of his body being removed and of onlookers measuring the depth of the hole created by his impact. And that was distributed by news organizations. Yikes. But uh, back in the day, they just, their sensibilities, I guess, were not as strong as ours Mm -hmm. are. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't snowflakes like us today. I guess that's that's true. There have been many, like, other experiments that went wrong that were unethical or just plain fucking stupid. Agreed. So we're going to talk about a couple of other ones. Just a, just a little sprinkly. Yeah, some disturbing ones. The tea room sex study. Have you heard of this one? Mm-hmm. You have. I had not heard of this one. So what this is, it's a study where a sociologist, I really should have heard it since I have a degree in sociology, but have not heard of it. You're a sociology. You're a sociologist. I am all of sociology. You, you, you're just sociology. I embody it. It was a study where a sociologist, Laud Humphreys, he wondered why tea room sex, which is fellatio in a public restroom, led to the majority of homosexual arrests in the United States. He became a quote-unquote watch queen, which is the person who keeps watching, gives a little <coughs> <coughs> when the cops or maybe a stranger gets near and he did this for his PhD <laughs> dissertation. What a weird dissertation. I think he just wanted his dick sucked. He wasn't the one getting sucked. He was just watching. I think he was just a big voyeur. Okay. I mean, you don't think no one like sucked his dick while he was in there? Maybe, but it doesn't say. I haven't read the study. But I did read that um, he ended up witnessing just a huge amount of blowjobs. Just an, an enormous amount. Like what a, a what a dissertation. Right? Right. I mean, okay. Laud, <laughs> do you, girl. So next up, we got the Tuskegee syphilis study, ugh. which ugh. I either watched a documentary recently or I listened to a podcast. I can't remember about mm-hmm. this. It's fucking terrible. It's terrible. 
This was a study. Um, it was a study on the effects of syphilis on black men at Tuskegee, Alabama. They were told that they were being treated, mm. but the study really just wanted to see how syphilis progressed naturally. So they would come in, they would give them shots or pills or, you know, just something, telling them they're treating them for this horrible disease, when in reality they were doing nothing. Not at all. Allowing these men to just get worse and worse and worse. It was terrible. And die. They did not, I will say, they didn't, well, they didn't give die. them syphilis. No. They just, they were men who already had it, and they then just observed the results. Instead of treating. Right. So the next one is the Stateville Penitentiary Malaria Study, and this is a study where doctors exposed 441 volunteer inmates to bites from malarial infected mosquitoes, and then just, you know, saw how it went. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. You know, how how it do. Oh, how it do. <laughs> Let's see what it does. We got Project Artichoke. I like the ones with names. Mm-hmm. So the ones I've picked all have weird names. names. Project Artichoke was a study that ran a series of mind control projects in an attempt to answer the question, can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature? Can we? Can we? Can we? I didn't read the study, and I don't know what the result is, <laughs> but I'm guessing it's not great. Probably not. It's probably pretty fucked. Then we have, I like this one. Oh. <laughs> Just the names. Operation Midnight Climax. Tell me more. What do you think this is about without reading the next line? Nocturnal mission. It's not. <laughs> but yes, like that, that would make more sense. But this was a study to determine the effects of LSD on individuals using unconsenting subjects lured Uh-oh. to safe houses by prostitutes who were on the CIA payroll. They were unknowingly giving L- given LSD and then monitored to see what happened. God, we're so fucked up. The CIA was involved in a lot yeah, a of lot. shady shit back oh, in the day. We've got the monster study, and this is a study about stuttering, and it was conducted on 22 orphan children. so sad. So what they did is they divided them into, some of them did have a stutter. So they said, okay, here's the kids who stutter, and here's the kids who don't. I think it was half and half at this point. Mm -hmm. And then of the ones who who don't, they wanted to see, like, if they could induce stuttering. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And on the ones who did, I think they tried to see if they could cure it, but they probably (laughs) didn't try that hard. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So the last one is, which I'm sure everybody's heard of, it's very famous, Project MKUltra. This is the CIA-sponsored research operation that experimented in human behavioral engineering. The test subjects were plied with LSD and other mind-altering drugs, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse, and other various forms of torture so that the CIA could just determine what's going on here. Sounds like a blast. What happens when all this shit happens to you? Yeah, it just sounds... Can't imagine anything good. Let's just sexually abuse this person and see what happens afterwards, how they develop Let's just after. sit back and casually exert. Let me give you a whole shit ton of LSD and then see what the result is. Hmm. So that's just a few. There are innumerable other horrific experiments, some done on people, some done on animals. Yikes. There is one, uh, they gave elephants LSD just to see how they reacted. And the answer is not great. <laughs> pretty sure There's a lot of sure LSD one, one experimentation. Why are scientists so intrigued by they LSD? I love LSD. Why don't you just do it yourself, doctor? Anywho, what are we doing next week? We are doing the Changeling. Ooh. And I'm excited because I've never seen it. Same. I'm excited too. It should be a fun one. You can find us, guys. We're on Instagram and 
Facebook at Room 237 The Podcast. We are on Twitter at Room 237 The Pod C1. Or you can send us an old-fashioned email at Room 237 The Podcast at gmail.com. Do not forget, do not, do not forget to rate and review us. Please do. Please. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Ten out of ten would recommend. (laughs) I was like, where are you going with this? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time. Until next time. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Bye.